Welcome to The Josh Ryan Show, a weekly podcast where I sit down and chat with highly successful digital entrepreneurs, experts, and creators to uncover their stories, secrets, and lessons that they've learned along the way to help you with your own projects. Let's get into today's interview. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. So today we are joined by Chase, who is an email marketing wizard who's driven over $100 million and revenue for his clients using email and um, also teaches those skills and lessons that he's learned from that through social media and his own newsletter. Welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for having me. How are you? Great, actually. And yourself? Doing well, thank you. It's been a, it's been a crazy week, but we're here and things are going well. Yeah, sounds like you're launching some pretty cool stuff, which we can uh, dive into later. Um, but yeah, busy, busy is always good. <laughs> well, sometimes. <laughs> in this case it's good yeah, yeah yeah awesome now for listeners uh who don't know you who aren't aware of you can you briefly introduce yourself sort of what you do yeah absolutely so i'm a partner at an e-commerce marketing agency we've got about 100 employees we work about 150 brands and i run our email and sms team so our retention team uh, which is about 70 people about 100 clients and we manage A through Z, email marketing and SMS marketing for- Apologies to interrupt your listening experience, but I just wanted to jump in and say, if you're enjoying this podcast so far, I would really appreciate it if you went ahead and left a review on whatever platform you listen on. By simply spending five or 10 seconds to leave a review, it helps us reach more people and grow the podcast, which allows us to get better guests on and give you better content. So. If you're enjoying it, let me know with a review. Much appreciated. Thank you for your support and enjoy the rest of the interview. Seven to nine figure e-commerce brands. So we help brands drive more engagement and more revenue through email and SMS. Yeah. What um, did, did you start that with your co-founder or did you sort of like merge, merge together a few different skills? Yeah, that's a good question. So back in 2018, myself and a partner started an email marketing agency. And then in 2020, we merged with a company that does paid social. So there's actually more divisions at the company. There's like four or five divisions. There's like paid social, paid search, content, and then the two I mentioned. So uh, we on our side added SMS as like a service more recently, but we did merge with another agency to offer other services and really be a full service agency. What what got you into doing that? Were you doing stuff prior to 2018 launching that or? Yeah, yeah, so I guess like the short version of the long story is I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease at the age of 13, but I didn't actually get a diagnosis till I was 14. So I basically went a year being sick without understanding what I had. So I kept getting mistreatment and just felt really crappy for a whole year. And at 14, I basically took it upon myself to learn marketing. So I could raise fundraising and awareness for this disease. So I was taking ads out in the paper. I was doing email campaigns to like friends and family, right? Very small scale um, and had a lot of success with that. And then throughout high school and college, I kept doing jobs and internships. And when I really thought about like what I had at the core of all of it, it was email marketing. So email's really been something that I was doing on and off for a long time. Um, after I graduated college, I was building massive software products in communities, leveraging cold email. And then in 2018, I transitioned to e-commerce email. So all in email, I've been doing for probably eight to 10 years in different facets, everything from cold email acquisition to community and newsletter email marketing, all the way through kind of more traditional e-commerce email marketing. Yeah. Have you, have you found it's changed a lot in that period or has it stayed 
Cause like, I mean, myself doing Instagram, like Instagram, even three years ago was very, very different to what it is yeah. now. But do you, do you see the same with email or is it kind of the same all the time? Yeah. It's, it's somewhere in between, right? Like it's, it's absolutely changed. I think the biggest thing that's changed is when I first started out, you know, we could just batch and blast entire lists without regard for segmentation and we'd be okay. We'd be able to deliver to the inbox. Uh, and or even the promotions and spam was never really something we'd ever land into. Whereas today, like if you just batch and blast and you have no regard for engagement and segmentation, uh, you're going to pretty much shoot yourself in the foot and have some deliverability issues, which means you're going to have a hard time being in the, in the primary folder. You're most likely going to be in the promotions or even worse the spam. So I think that's been the biggest change, you know, outside of that, you know, there's new tools and new things that people are leveraging and doing like one that's on the cutting edge right now that a lot of people I think will be adopting soon. That's very early today is this thing called AMP and it stands for accelerated mobile pages. And if you think about like a landing page or a website, they're very engaging. They're very interactive. There's a lot of things that you can do. Whereas without that technology within email, email is very static, right? You could use a GIF, but a lot of times it's images, it's still links. And this technology allows emails to act much differently. So you can do like a product carousel within an email. You can have like a product accordion where if you click a category, the content expands out. Um, you can fill out reviews and surveys within emails. You can even RSVP to events. So that technology of AMP is probably like the newest evolution and probably like the biggest change that's coming. Yeah, I, I haven't even heard of that to be honest. Is that just like recently started coming out? It's the technology I think has been around or approved, I should say for probably like two or three years now, but the adoption is so slow. Like yeah. I've maybe seen like one or two AMP emails in my inbox ever. There are some technological, I guess, elements and kind of roadblocks and hurdles to it. You have to be pretty technical. There are certain things you have to ha set up. So I think the lack of awareness of it slash the technical kind of landscape of it makes it a little bit hard. But there are tools and softwares. You know, heck, I'm building one kind of to help with that. Other people are building them. So I think as the technology increases and makes the technology more accessible and more kind of user friendly for non technical folks, then you're going to see a lot more of that. Uh, is that going to massively change email? Do you think? Like, is that going to take it from? I don't know. People talk about like web web 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. How there's like these big changes. Do you see that being like similar to email? Like it's going to completely change things, or is it just going to? just be a, a slight improvement. Yeah, I think there's different inflection points, right? I think the early adopters are gonna have the most gain. And then there's kind of like this thing of like, I don't know if it's a real law or if someone made it up or if I'm making it up, but it's like this law of shitty click-throughs where essentially the more that everyone else does something, the less kind of new and kind of fresh it is, the lower everyone's click-through rates are. I'm sure you've yeah. experienced that right on even Instagram and whatnot as well. So I think the early adopters, like the folks that are going to do this soon, they're going to have the highest improvement and net gain. And then, you know, in five or 10 years from now, like everyone's going to know about AMP. And when people think about folks not using AMP, it's like, well, that's weird. Like, why would anyone not use this? Right. Yeah. So I think we're going to go through inflection points where like the early to the mid people are going to get the most amount of benefit and gain. And then it's just going to kind of be kind of be standard. The really cool and interesting thing about it is it makes email more engaging and actionable, interactive. So in theory, by allowing people to purchase within an email or to fill out a survey within an email or to fill out a review within an email, you know, in theory, that should increase the conversion rate, at least in the beginning. Over time, as everyone does it, 
maybe it flattens out. But that's kind of my thought. I'm bullish on it, but again, it's still very early. Yeah. I, so yeah, I guess it's one of those, like with anything, social media as well, you know, the early people get an advantage and then you're getting yes. a disadvantage if you're not using it sort of thing, because it is, yes. is so mainstream. Um, in saying that, that's like, I guess the advanced stuff with email, um, for people, cause I know a lot of people, like a lot of creators and businesses still aren't really using email or, or maybe not using it to its full potential. Um, and I've definitely tried mentioning it in a lot of videos that people should be building an email list and, and using that. But what's like the main reasons people should be jumping on and actually using email in their business? Dude, there, there's a lot, a couple of them. One is predictability. So, you know, we've been doing this for a long time based off historical data, we can more or less pretty accurately predict what a client's going to bring in terms of revenue on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. So we can basically say, Hey, right now this brand does a hundred thousand dollars a month in total e-commerce revenue, 20% of that revenue every single month comes from email. So we know, you know, every single month, you know, pending any major issues, you know, we're going to be able to probably generate 20, $25,000 a month uh, in the short term. And as that business grows, so too will the revenue from email. So over time, right, like we should be able to have thousands of dollars extra per month from email. So I think one is the predictability. I think two is the profitability. So with email, you've already paid to acquire these folks. Some of them are customers, some aren't customers. You've already paid the acquisition costs to acquire them. With email, really your costs are uh, your ESP, so your email service provider, that's things like Klaviyo, MailChimp, et cetera. And then the cost of whoever's gonna be uh, kind of fulfilling it, you know, an agency like us, a freelancer or someone in-house outside of that, you know, more or less anything that you generate from email, obviously minus product costs, shipping costs, et cetera, is profit. So I think the fact that it's a very profitable channel, right? There's all those stats out there for every $1 invested in the email, you get X number of dozen dollars back in terms of ROI. You know, I don't know if those numbers are true or false, but the ROI on email is super high just because the costs are very low. So it's, it's predictable and it's profitable. And then the last few things is it's very personal. And what do I mean by that? So Facebook and Instagram, right? Used to have some of the best targeting in the world and the targeting still is pretty good, but with email, you know, what people have purchased, you know, what products they've viewed, you know, what blog articles they've read. If you can tie in all the other data from other sources and aggregate that within your CRM and within your database, you can basically serve each person at each basically step in the funnel content that's specific and relevant to them. So I think it's one of the best ways to personalize content at scale where each individual subscriber could or should receive content that's specific and relevant to them, whether that's based off gender, whether that's based off geography, whether that's based off of purchase or non-purchase. So I guess the three kind of to recap is email is great because it's predictable, it's prof profitable and it's personal. Yeah. That, um, makes a lot of sense. And I think like you say that having all of that data on what people are interested in being able to target them based off that is just a game changer. Um, okay. and I've noticed a lot of, a lot of people have been starting up like email agencies, like just going out similar to, I guess what you guys are doing, um, going out and doing that for businesses. And it seems to be a pretty, pretty popular and, and profitable business to get into. Cause like you say, there's no, you don't have to worry about breaking even from ads or so on. You're taking existing customers and generating more income from them. Yeah, dude, a hundred percent.
what what would you say is the best way if someone's not using email what's like the first thing you think they should focus on to to launch it and get started um implementing it yeah i mean there, there's a couple of things that you kind of have to do in tandem one is you have to have a way to collect emails right so it's called uh, email pop-up or email flyout or an email embedded form but most people know it as a pop-up you're on a website something pops up says josh here's 10 percent off here's ten dollars off here's free shipping so you want to have some way to collect emails, right? Emails only as good as the list and the traffic coming through. So you need to acquire emails. Once you acquire emails, you want to send those emails into a series, what's called a welcome series for non-buyers. It's an automation that's going to send to these folks, basically delivering the value proposition that you promised in the pop-up, letting them know about your company, explaining about how you're different and what's in it for the subscriber, uh, showing them popular products, building trust through social proof, inviting them to join the community. So you collect the emails, you then feed those emails or subscribers content over a few days, you know, over a week, week and a half, depending on how much content you wanna create. And then you wanna send like ongoing campaigns, letting people know, hey, we launched a new product, we're running this sale, here's kind of some cool education, here's some cool social proof. And then there's other automations like the abandoned checkout and customer thank yous that are also super important. So those are the, the three things is collect the emails, serve them a few of the core automated automations, the welcome series for non-buyers, the abandoned checkout, and a customer thank you for when people buy, and then send ongoing weekly campaigns, um, letting people know what's new and what they can expect and what's going on in your world, and really build out that content and that community. Yeah, that makes sense. So automated at the start and then weekly newsletter kind of style um, content. Do, do you have a recommendation for how often people should email their list like i feel like when i go on on google there's a million different answers from once a day twice a day once a week like is there a, a golden number or is it just very does it just change depending on on what the niche is and what the business is yeah it depends there's a lot of variables depends on the niche how many products you sell if your product's seasonal if it's black friday Saturday, monday you know, in a normal week, in a normal month where things are kind of just status quo, most of our clients are sending on the low end about two campaigns a week and on the high end about five campaigns a week. So maybe like three to four is kind of like that sweet spot. Again, some people might only get away sending two or three. Other people can send upwards of four to five. In most instances for e-commerce, daily doesn't work just because of the frequency to maintain it and also the cadence of the subscribers is really high. So multiple times per week is typically the optimal for e-commerce. Yeah. Okay. That seems um, pretty reasonable for people to get started with as well. If they yeah. like daily email, I guess it's a lot of, lot of effort. Yeah. If you're trying to focus on three or four, you can do it well. And yeah, um, yeah especially starting out. What, what would you say are the biggest mistakes you see people make with email? Um, uh, I think a couple of things, like, I think going back to like the biggest change I mentioned was around like batching and blasting. So I think people are still using methods of the past. They're just batching and blasting their whole list without any regard for engagement or segmentation, which in the short term might be okay. But in the mid to long term, you're really shooting yourself in the foot and getting into potential deliverability issues. That's one. Two is it's in, they're not sending enough campaigns per week or per month. Most people are sending like a handful of campaigns per month, which is just not the right cadence, um, setting and forgetting flows. Most people think they can build a flow once, which is an email automation and then set it and forget it. You have to be updating and refreshing content ongoing. You have to be optimizing and testing it. So those are kind of, I think the three, and also two, 
people think pop-ups are annoying. So they're not collecting emails. It's like you have no email business and no way to grow your list if you're not collecting it. Yeah, that makes sense. Would you say anything changes in the way you want to approach email if it's more of a creator slash influencer doing it compared to a e-commerce brand, local business, et cetera? Good question. Most of my experience over the past like four or five years has been pretty exclusive to e-commerce. So that's really like the frame and the hat that I wear. I guess as an individual, like as a course creator, as an influencer myself, like I do create kind of my own content and stuff. A lot more of that is like educational kind of giving content based plain text, right? Where e-commerce more is like beautifully designed emails and product launches and events. And we just got into this retail. So I think there are a lot of parallels. I just think the way in which you deliver the message is a little bit different. You know, oftentimes for personal brands, it's just plain text emails or for, you know, leading D to C or e-com brands, it's beautifully designed emails. Right. So I, th I think there's a lot of parallels and there's also some differences. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I don't really subscribe to too many, um, email newsletters from like e-commerce brands and so on. And so most of the emails I do get are all plain text. Um, yeah. And then when I see a lot of people going on about having lots and lots of images, it's like, I don't really see that, but yeah, that, that makes sense if it's, yeah, mostly it's e commerce the, brands. Yeah. It's almost the inverse where it's like, if you're getting mainly coaching and courses and like content creator newsletters, like almost a hundred percent of that stuff is plain text, or it's like a simple template where you have like, a logo and then you have like a footer and then all the yeah. text in between, right? That's like kind of as far as people design it. But in terms of e-commerce, it's pretty much like the opposite. I wouldn't say a hundred percent, but a majority of e-commerce brands lead with heavy designed emails first. And then plain text emails are very secondary. Not saying that that's the right way. That's just the way that it's done. Yeah. But that, that works based off what you've seen with, with your agency currently. Yeah. You know, I think we kind of fall more in like this middle camp. I mean, we skew more towards designs because we work with a lot of brands that are very focused on brand and design and, you know, aesthetic, but we, we like to mix in plain text emails. I see that there being a lot of value in terms of personalization, deliverability connection. So, you know, if, if the average email company or the average e-commerce brand is sending emails, maybe 90% or hundred percent of their emails probably are designed for us. I'd probably say like, we're probably like 70, 75% designed. 25 to 30% plain text. Yeah. Cause I, I have heard from different people that do a lot of email marketing, mostly in the more educational influencer sort of niche that they found anytime they put above like any more than like one or two images in it, like their deliverability would just plummet. Um, but is that, is that not the case now that you're talking about like with e-commerce brands having heaps and heaps of images and the whole thing being beautiful? It, it, it depends like images within emails isn't the sole reason in which why someone would hit, you know, promotions or spam. It definitely is a factor, but I think people, I think people overemphasize like having an image within an email and therefore going to promotions or spam. It definitely can play a factor, but by no means is it the main or the sole factor. There are other contributing things in terms of like, what is your domain reputation? Like what's your domain health? You know, what's your deliverability? Um, do people open your emails? Do people engage with your emails? Uh, do they market as important? Are they replying? So there's all these other, you know, have they added you to your, their address book? Have they moved you from promotions to inbox? So there's like so many other factors that like, if you think about like a, you know, a scale or like a weight, 
like, you know, I think most people think that like a hundred percent of that scores based off of images versus non-images. And that's just not the case. Does yeah. it have an influence and does it have an impact? Absolutely. There's, there's no doubt about it, but it's not the sole thing. There's tons of brands that we work with and there's tons of brands that we don't work with that hit our inbox that have literally single image emails by no means is it best practice. Don't recommend it, but yeah. sometimes you just have to do it. If you're strapped for time or something comes up and you can still hit the inbox. Um, there's other times like where you slice and dice emails and whatnot, and they hit the promotions or they hit the inbox. There's times that you send plain text and it goes to the promotions, right? So yeah. there, it's kind of like this mix between like an art and a science. Um, and it is a factor. Um, and not to be super promotional or, or overly kind of promo you, but uh, one of the things that I'm building that actually is going into private beta this week is an email template builder where essentially you can create beautiful designed emails in a matter of minutes. And then in one or two clicks, you can export that email from our platform into your email platform of choice. And the way that we're doing it is through HTML. So th there, there's three ways that people design emails. And the reason I mentioned this is because it ties into kind of how to build emails. As I mentioned before, some people are leveraging just single images within an email and screenshotting the whole thing because they want it to look perfect. They want the fonts that they want to look good and they just don't know any better, right? But the accessibility on that, if someone has an image blocker on or their you know provider doesn't accept it, you know, if you only have a single image and there's nothing else, like your, your message is gonna be empty, right? If people have image blockers on. So that's one way, that's definitely not the best way, but big companies do it. So I think a lot of people follow suit. The next yeah. way that a lot of companies do it is they'll design an email in Canva or Figma or Sketch or Illustrator or whatever. And then they'll have to then take slices and, and parts of it and then rebuild it in their email platform. It's just not efficient. And here you still have a lot of images and are the images compressed? I don't know. The way that we like to build it and the best practice, but you know, traditionally it's very expensive and time consuming is you design an email in whatever platform and then you get someone that actually custom codes the HTML. So that way it's really clean and it's really precise. So essentially what I'm doing is I'm taking like this fragmented process where most people are doing the first two, the single image or the slice and dice. Very few people have the resources or the budget or the time or the expertise to do the HTML. I'm basically allowing people to do the front end of building the design in one platform. And I'm doing the heavy working of converting that through the platform into HTML and allowing you to export the HTML into the platform. So that's like the best practice, long-winded. Yeah. And, and so that, so you would just copy the code and then it would put all, all your fonts or your images, et cetera, into whatever the provider is. Exactly. Yeah. So we will have direct integrations with like Clavio and MailChimp and constant contact and Omnisend, et cetera, where all you have to do is basically add your key, your API key. So that way we know which account you have and where it lives. You click one button after you've done that and it will literally go into your templates in your email platform. Or you can just literally click export. It will download an HTML file that you just import into your platform. So that is the best practice. Whether you use my platform or not, uh, that is a best practice if you can. Yeah. What? Um, where can people find out about that? Like you said, it's going to be in private beta. So I assume not everyone listening will be instantly able to get in. But, you know, people might be listening to this a few months from now as well and want yeah, to jump in and find out. Yeah, depending on when it goes live, it might still be in private beta. It might be kind of publicly available. So I just bought the domain called emailup.com. So literally email, I just spell email, 
upup, so emailup.com is the name of the platform. And that goes in private beta in a few days from the time of the recording. Awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll chuck that in the description if people want to check that out. Maybe it'll be, yeah, depending on when they're listening to this as well, it could be live, could be uh, in beta still. But yeah, that sounds like um, a really awesome tool. I'll probably most likely be checking it out myself. Sweet. Sweet. And one, one kind of interesting thing on this topic that may be interesting for you, maybe not. I'm kind of taking like this model from like the info kind of consulting kind of coaching route. And I'm trying to apply it to SaaS. And I think like this lesson, while this might not directly be applicable to you or someone else listening, I think thinking in this manner is really helpful. So I'm playing mainly in the e-commerce space. I've done some courses in the past, so I understand those worlds. I've never done SaaS. So I'm kind of coming in with like this really fresh perspective of like, I don't know what works and I don't, don't know what doesn't work, right? Yeah. So I had this concept and this idea that I'm testing on Friday. So for our private beta, I sent out like really limited invites to like 150 or 200 people that are like my VIPs on my email list. And I'm inviting them to join, uh, basically I have five calls on Friday and each of them are one hour. It's probably not gonna take the whole time, but on this call, it's almost like, I guess like a webinar or a demo of the product with a group where I'm basically gonna go through and teach them about the product, answer any questions. And then on that call, I'm gonna be onboarding them. So it's kind of like this interesting model of like most courses and course creators, they'll do webinars, right? As, to sell their course or kind of promote it and really hype it up. And I haven't really seen too many people or anyone, at least that I know, doing this for SaaS. So long-winded, I guess my point here is like, if you're in a different industry and you're moving to another industry, taking some of the principles from one industry to another, whether that industry does it or not, is actually something really interesting. Yeah, and I think coming at it with like a fresh perspective as well, like you say, like you don't know what works, but you also don't know what doesn't work and people yes. automatically write off so you can, come in um and do that that seems like a good solid idea like just a simple thing that not many people would have actually tried before i guess yeah and i think like i think this is why it'll work and again the jury's still out i think one is like the scarcity and the fomo right so there's clearly going to be you know quote unquote like an in crowd and an out crowd like people are going to inherently probably post about it talk about it heck i'll probably share about it after like this is what i did Here's how it worked. Here's how it went. I'm, I'm a huge believer of building in public and transparency. So a lot of people are going to be like, dang, like I didn't get in on that. Right? Like, so they're going to be wondering like, how do I get in next? And now I'm thinking about like, man, cause I kind of want to control the amount of people that come into the platform. Cause anytime you, you build something new, you obviously want to make sure it works and it's good before you scale, you know, to the moon. So it allows yeah. me to control how many people are coming in. It allows me to get feedback and testimonials and be able to improve the platform before I open it to the public. Cause you really only get one chance at a first impression, right? So it allows me to put my best foot forward for when I open it up to the public. Um, and for the people that haven't got in, they're going to probably be anxiously waiting to get in. So once it's their time in the queue to get in, they're probably going to act much quicker and out of a different mentality than they otherwise would. So it's kind of interesting when you leverage like the psychology and you kind of have the wait list and you have like the FOMO and the content and then the product improvement. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, that, that reminds me almost of, um, I don't know if you've read much of Alex Hormozzi or his, his recent book, he seems to have gone crazy viral this past sort of six months, but he always sort of preached the same thing. Like you always want to sell out, like sell, sell less than the total demand. And then you've always yes. got like eager buyers waiting. And then yes. the people who even might not have bought it, they see it sells out and they see it must be good. And they, they want to jump in on that next round. Um, 100%. 
hopefully you crush it with that man like all the best um thank you with it uh i think i guess also having less people who are going to take action probably gets you more feedback like if it was yes. open to everyone people might not use it as much and then you don't get the same feedback yeah and on that like it's it's a paid private beta because i think there's a difference too like when you make people pay versus you give them for free you know if i was giving it to for free you know the incentive to use it's not really that there like you'll use it maybe or maybe not but if you're paying for something you care way more about it so i'm making it a private paid beta not just a beta where people can kind of use it for free they actually have to pay because then you basically validate product market fit you've got people that are going to give you more harsh and critical feedback which for me that's what i want i don't want people to like give me sugar-coated feedback or be like ah, it's it's all right i want people to either love it or hate it right if people love it then that means other people are gonna love it if people hate it that means we can improve it right and if i'm not trying to build something for everyone i'm trying to build something for a very specific group of people within e-commerce or content or courses that could use something like this and want to benefit from it so it's kind of interesting yeah and i guess if someone's paying for it they're not going to be like trying to pander to you or whatever like be if they're getting it for free they might be like sort of thankful for the opportunity and then not yes. not want to criticize what you've built or so on um good way to do it i think hopefully yeah <laughs> i guess time will tell but it, it sounds like a solid plan um when it when it comes to software in general with email do you find there's a massive difference between them uh like between mailchimp clavio which seems like you use a lot active campaign i think that's the one that i use currently um is there a major difference between them or is it just a pretty minor part of the equation yeah that's a good question i think i'm a little bit biased we've been using clavio for so long and solely clavio that i haven't truthfully given other platforms enough attention or insight or love lately so it's hard for me to compare where the current platforms are at versus Clavio, where in my mind, I'm comparing Clavio today versus MailChimp four years ago. Yeah. So in, in my mind, like Clavio for e-commerce in particular is like a clear, obvious winner, um, right? They've raised a lot of money. They've built a great platform. So in my mind, again, being biased, I think Clavio is better than all the others. That being said, like if someone has familiarity and experience with a particular platform, you know, at the end of the day, they are platforms, you know, your inputs, your insight, your subscribers, your content is what's going to be the differentiator. But I do think that certain tools like a Clavio over a MailChimp for serious e-com brands is better. So I think it's partially the tools are better, but at the end of the day, like it's on the operators. They're just tools. They're not, they're not going to do it by themselves. It's not like Clavio has magic scripts that just work by themselves. Like we still have to be the technician that input things in to get some output. Yeah, that does seem to be a common trend. I feel like Everyone I know that does email for e-commerce, like whether it be for their own stores or whether it be as an agency, all seem to use that tool. So I figure it must be good. But um, yeah. as far as like deliverability goes, like between the services, is there much of a difference? Or um, it yeah, it depends. Um, no knock about Clavio, but it's crazy to be a multi-billion-dollar company and not even own your own sending infrastructure. So without getting too technical, Clavio leverages SendGrid. SendGrid's like kind of the massive player in the space that leverage SendGrid servers. So, you know, I think Clavio's deliverability for the most part is pretty solid and pretty good. And a lot of the other platforms are as well. A lot of the other platforms too do use SendGrid to send on top of, um, but there are tools out there that own their own sending infrastructure. 
So they have a little bit more, I think, feedback loop and control in terms of like what's happening. So I think Clavio is, is strong, a solid. Some of the other ones are strong and solid, but it just it just depends. Um, there's also different IP pools. So the way that you typically work is you get put on pools uh, of shared domains and shared IPs uh, based off of the sending volume that you have. So you might be sharing an IP pool with 50 or 70 other people that have a thousand subscribers with you, right? So depending on the pool that you're in, if someone else is a bad actor in that pool, they could ruin it potentially for you. So there's there's a lot that goes into it. Like there's shared versus dedicated IPs. Um, there's dedicated domain versus like, you know, kind of leveraging Clavio, sent via Clavio. So there's a lot of different factors, but more or less long-winded. Uh, deliverability is pretty consistent and strong across most of the big providers. Yeah. Okay. That's good. I guess it comes down to what tools people feel more comfortable with, but it does yeah. seem like they, they seem to be smashing it with e-commerce. Yeah, um, they are. Specifically. Now, slightly changing the topic of things, um, as we've discussed a ton about email that I think people have picked up a lot from, when it comes to building your agency side of things, what would you say would be like the biggest struggles you've had to overcome? Um, I mean, I imagine there's a lot hiring 70 people or so on, but um, what's been the biggest, yeah, struggles there? Dude, so, so many. Um, <laughs> I think first when I started out in 2018 with a partner, it was just like the two of us and we didn't really have any ambition or goal or thoughts of building an agency. So every dollar that came in, we just put into our own bank accounts, right? So we had no understanding or no knowledge or no, I guess really even reason to, to build up the cash flow in the bank. So that way we, we could hire. So once we finally figured out that we did want to hire, you know, we, we had no cash in the company account. All the cash was in our yeah. personal and the thoughts of taking money out of your personal and putting it back into the business is like, I don't know, it's daunting. So that yeah. kind of like set us back a little bit where it's like, if you're trying to build an agency and not just be a freelancer, you know, every month save whatever percentage you feel comfortable with for the company. Obviously make sure that you get paid, make sure that you can live, but save part of that money to be able to start building up the cash in the account so that way you can start hiring. Uh, and when you do hire, like hire good people, like, you know, don't cut the corner and don't just go for the cheap person. And obviously no offense to the cheap person, but go for someone that has experience. Um, I think we tried cutting quarters early cause we were cheap and we weren't making that much money. And dude, it, it's actually, ex it's more expensive to hire cheap than it is the other way around. Right. Yeah. You have to micromanage, you have to oversee, you, you probably have a lot of churn. Um, I think that's that the other thing that we learned, at least for our business, it doesn't work for every business, but for our agency, we were hiring a lot of like freelancers and contractors. And then we switched to full-time W2 employees. I want someone to obsess and be focused and care about my business and my business solely, you know, freelancers, there's just too much ebb and flow. They might be working with you on one or two accounts, but if someone else makes them a better offer, they're going to jump ship, right? There's, I don't want to say there's no loyalty, but I get it. Like they're in it for themselves and they have a different mindset. So those are kind of some of the ones that come to mind, like, uh, keeping cash in the account, hiring really solid people. Maybe even if you have to make a little bit less in the meantime, but knowing that in the end, it's going to be cheaper and you're going to make more. And then for, for us, again, not the best practice for everyone, but for us, we like hiring people full-time so that way they can be all in with us versus half in, half out. That's interesting about going for full-time employees. Uh, cause I guess I've never really thought about it like that as well, but a freelancer is always worried about like where the next client's going to come and instability yeah. that way, who's going to be paying them, et cetera. Whereas if you do take someone on full-time, they can just give their sole focus to, to yeah. you and building 
building what you've got going. Yeah. And, um, yeah, also with the reinvesting, I think that's something that I've taken way too long to do myself. You always see a lot of people, um, I mean, in general, you see lots of people talking about like saving money and, and, and a lot of that side of things. If you're frugal in your personal life, maybe you're going to be trying to save everything in the business, push it out as profit. But I think, yeah, making that switch to putting it back into hiring good people, investing in good softwares, et cetera, like has helped massively. Um, yeah. And yeah, definitely by the sounds of things with you as well, working with 70 plus people. How, um, how do you go about managing that many people? Like, do you, do you have compartments that have got their own managers that just sort of yeah. report to you or how does that look? Yeah. So we have a lot of like, I guess like mid and senior level management. So it's like myself and like kind of a, two partners now on like the top of like the retention teams. And then under that, right. We have like a head of design. We have a head of account management, a head of copy, uh, a head of, you know, development. So we've got these heads of departments and then underneath them, they've got junior copywriters, senior copywriters, junior designers, senior designers, junior account managers, seniors. So like there's like multiple levels and layers, right? Where like the, the juniors report to the seniors, the seniors report to the head of the departments, the head of the departments then report to like the partners, that type of thing. So there's a lot of like hierarchy and structure where it's like, instead of one or two people managing 70 people, it's like one or two people are managing five people. Those five people are maybe managing 10 people and those 10 people are then managing 40 or 50 people. Yeah. Is that something that you just learned through trial and error or books or did you have to bring on some consultant or person to help with or? Um, just, we kind of learned by doing, uh, and we also hired more recently, like kind of a head of HR, head of hiring, and she has a team under her. So yeah, it was kind of stuff that we figured out as we went. And then as we brought on like a recruiter, like, dude, we brought in a recruiter probably six months, eight months ago, and she's hired like 30 or 40 people for us in the past, like six to eight months. It's been insane. Far out. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a lot of people. Yeah. It's a lot. What, what would you say would be your best advice to sort of like new people who have just started an agency or just about to start an agency? Um, then I mean, aside from reinvesting into your team, but I guess probably more for someone just starting out. I don't know. I mean, I think just starting right is like the right foot and taking it like day by day. Like you don't need to figure everything out. Uh, I think the best advice I would give though is like from day zero, from day one, document the process, document your job and figure out like, what are the things that you do every single day? And what are the tasks that like kind of are every week you're doing the same thing? How can you find someone to take those off your plate? So for example, like if you're a one man show, or if you're a one woman show, uh, and you're always on client calls and you're taking all the notes and you're doing all the reporting, it's like, okay, those are things that are recurring reporting notes, you know, following up, find an account manager to take that off your plate. So I think just documenting, uh, on loom, documenting on journal, documenting on a project management system, the things that you do do, the things that you like to do, the things that you don't like to do, the things that you're good at, things that you're bad at and start figuring out like which of those things should be delegated and then bring people in to take those off your place. Yeah. And then you can free up your time to focus on the more important, higher level, higher value tasks, I guess. Yep. Solid advice, I guess. Yeah. Um, and now before wrapping this up, I did want to touch on your social media side of things as well, because I mean, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but you have built up 
your own brand um, across Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Yep. It seems how have you found, how's that been going? Has it helped the business um, or has it helped the agency? Do you, do you get all your clients offline? Yeah, dude, it's, it's been a game changer. Almost to the point where it's been like, like potentially even like life changing, like the, the amount of like opportunities that I've gotten from uh, my newsletters, my YouTube, my podcast, my socials has been insane. Like opportunities to consult like eight, nine figure e-com brands, SaaS companies, opportunities to advise opportunities to speak at events. You know, I spoke at an event like about a month ago where there was like 2000 people that attended in person. It was, it was crazy. And it was like one of the very first events that I found out about when I was breaking into marketing, like, you know, eight or 10 years ago. Um, so it's, it's been, yeah, it's been game changing. All of our leads, you know, I'd say like 99% of our leads are inbound mainly through mine and my partner, Nick Shackelford's uh, content. So our stuff on Twitter or stuff on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, you, you, our talks um, and, or, a lot of client referrals. So clients will refer other brands. They'll start another brand themselves and bring us on. So, I mean, dude, like it's, it's literally produced millions and millions of dollars a year for our agency, for my courses, for, you know, my events. So it, it's north of seven figures. It's probably between low to mid seven figures per year in revenue that like, you know, our, our personal channels are kind of generating. Far out. That's incredible. Just by pretty much sharing your knowledge freely, um, for people to learn from. Yeah. Most people don't even know that I have an agency, right? So it's like, we probably have even more business. I don't really ever talk about the agency kind of just like, yeah. I love teaching. I love building. I love educating. And then people will say like, Hey, do you have any good agencies that do this? I'm like, well, just to let you know, I have an agency. And they're like, Oh <laughs> damn. Like we didn't know that we'd love to work with you. So it's kind of yeah. funny. <laughs> Interesting how that works out that, um, because you spoke the the one with two thousand people was with Michael um, with Social Media Examiner yeah. or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Social Media Marketing World from Social Media Examiner. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I was on his podcast recently, and I saw, I saw, I saw photos of you at that um, event. It looked awesome. Great podcast, great website slash blog, great event. So the very first blog I ever read when I was starting out in marketing a long time ago was Social Media Examiner. So when I got asked to go on the podcast and when I got asked to do the event and asked to speak to our mastermind, I was like, holy smokes, it's wild how things come full circle. Yeah, definitely. I definitely remember reading that ages ago as well myself. Um, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. What, what would you say has been the biggest thing that's helped you build and monetize like your audience? I guess monetization comes relatively naturally with having an agency and, and so on, but like really building your audience on social trust you know i've been doing this for a long time i put out content every single day like I, I just show up every day like i show up i provide value i didn't ask for anything for a long time a lot of people ask me to do courses and work with us and whatnot so i'm very much you know give 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 and then you shall receive right so i probably give 80 percent of the time and ask or receive or take 20 percent of the time so i i'm just into this formula and this equation where the more that I produce, the more that I give, the more that I add value, the more that it, in return, it adds value to me. So it's just like this kind of ever going snowballing effect of like the more people I help, the more people that kind of understand what I do and share my stuff, the more people that want to work with us or use my SaaS business or attend one of our events, et cetera. Yeah, that's definitely super important. Just giving, 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 and it'll, what's Gary say? Jab, 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 right hook or something. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Awesome, man. Is there any, okay, before we finish this up, best advice you would give to yourself starting out and um, your entrepreneurial journey, like either things that you randomly did well that you've sort of realized were really good or, or mistakes that you made that you would, you would change? Oh man, I think a lot of the advice I've probably given are like keep catching the account, those types of things. I think the last thing I'll end on though is like, I think we all have, and even still today, I have this, you might have this, I don't know, like imposter syndrome, right? We always think that people that are one, five, 10 levels ahead of us have everything figured out and it's just not the case. Like, sure, I know way more today than I knew six months ago, three years ago, five years ago, but man, there is so much stuff that I'm learning and I don't know. I'm venturing into the SaaS world, which I don't know a single thing about, but it's really humbling and it's really exciting. And I like learning and every single day I'll learn something new. So uh, I think like just, you know, take action every day, get a little bit better. Don't be afraid that you don't know what you're going to be doing in six months. Like, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow, right? Like yeah. take it day by day and it will just kind of fall into place. I think that's really, really good advice. And I think the more people that I talk to, um, the more common that like I hear that same thing where everyone has that imposter syndrome, like, yeah, yeah, everyone, literally everyone out there has it, but yeah. people sort of think that this person's doing well, so they don't have it. It doesn't go away. You just got to learn to act on it anyway. Yep. Awesome, man. And, and where can, where can people find out more about you? And, um, we'll, we'll link your email, email up. You said it was yep. below, but outside of that, where can people find out about your agency, your socials? I'll yeah, I think check the, the links below. Yeah, I think the best two places would be my Twitter. So my handle is ecom chase diamond. My last name is without the A, so it's D I M O N D. So ecom chase diamond, no A in diamond. And then on Instagram, I'm chase hunter diamond again, no A in diamond. So chase hunter diamond on uh, Instagram, and that's that's what I got. So thank you. Awesome. I'll link that below. Um, definitely check out uh, Chase's stuff, especially if you're trying to learn about email building businesses online, etc. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me, dude. Awesome. And all the best with the uh, software launch. Hope you absolutely smash it. Thank you. Thank you.